Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is May the 14th, 2014, and this is episode 1345 of the Survival Podcast. I've got a great one for you today. It kind of dovetails really nicely uh, with the show we did last week on perennial herbs. I've got Demetria Clark uh, who will be on with us, has been teaching herbology for about two decades and has taught tens of thousands of people uh, different uh, aspects of herbology, from basic herbology to master herbalism to aromatherapy. Studied all over the world. She's an amazing lady. We'll have her on in just a moment. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today is Fortress Defense Consultants. Hey, look at it this way. If you carry a gun or you own a gun, you do it for a reason. You realize that someday you may have to depend on that weapon to, to protect your life or the life of someone you love or the life of someone on the street that you don't even know, but you know they're, they're a potential victim. And you're willing to do that and you're willing to take on that responsibility. I applaud you for it. But it is easy to lull ourselves into a false sense of security and a false sense of competence. Professional training is the only way to make sure that we really are able to act when necessary. I'd rather you be armed and have basic common sense gun training than not be armed at all. But that's, that's level one. What I would prefer is that you be armed, have that basic common sense gun training, and also have advanced training. How to act, how to be, how to move, how to think, how to deal with malfunctions, and how to save lives. That's what you'll get from Fortress Defense Consultants. Check them out today at FortressDefense.com. Get with Frank Sharp Jr. and his cadre of instructors. They will make you a better gun handler. Next up today, Ready Made Resources, the company that does what it says and says what it does right there on their website. Ready Made, ready to go, all the resources you need for your prepping. Long-term storage food, they've got that. 12-volt uh, stuff for your solar and wind projects, they've got that. Solar and wind stuff, they've got that. Gardening, guns, tactical, practical. You name it, they've got it. But you know what they've got going on right now? How about 25 to 60% off all Mountain House stuff? I was supposed to tell you this, guys, earlier, but I ended up with my wife in the ER and dealing with some stuff, and you know she ended up okay. A lot of you guys sent you know positive thoughts about that. I appreciate that, but uh, it put me back. But you guys have today and tomorrow on this sale. 25 to 60% off their Mountain House inventory, number 10 cans, in increments of six. So basically case size lots. But you can mix and match and break cases up. 25 to 65%, 25 to 60% off Mountain House does not happen often. If you've been meaning to up that food insurance component of your long-term food storage program, remember I teach a balanced approach. Eat where you store, store where you eat, produce your own food, have a deep pantry. Practice copy canning. But the insurance component is those long-term storables, the set-and-forget-it stuff that's there, and you know it's there. That's what Mountain House provides. It's, they are the best, as far as I'm concerned, in the industry, as far as quality and selection. To get 25 to 60% off is huge. Check them out today, ReadyMade Resources. Remember, ReadyMade is one of our long-term sponsors. We're talking five years, folks. Five years of support of this show. And uh, I bet they could use the orders. That's probably why they're running the sale. Check them out today, readymaderesources.com. Next up today, I want to read to you from our uh, history segment, The Black Prince Wins His Spurs. That's Prince Edward, the Black Prince. We've talked about him before. 
Uh, Alex Shrugged has this verse on TSP Wiki today. After spanking the French Navy in 1340, King Edward III of England has brought his army to within sight of Paris. The Parisians are in panic, but King Edward turns away because he lacks the numbers to invade Paris. The French regroup and attack in overwhelming numbers at the Battle of uh, Crecy. But the English war tactics have evolved. The heroes of the day are the English longbow archers. The French crossbow archers panic. French cavalry collapses in a hail of arrows. Yet the French forces swarm over the English and the Black Prince falls. His standard bearer lifts Prince Edward of Woodstock to his feet. The Black Prince will hew horse and man with his sword. As his fellows fall around him, he will send a messenger to his father calling for reinforcements. The king asks the messenger, is my son dead or felled? He says, and the messenger says back, your son is alive, but the numbers are against him. The king responds, return to him and them that sent you here. Say they send no more. As long as my son's alive, they suffer him today to win his spurs. The black prince will win his spurs. The French forces will be crippled for the next ten years. But the English won't be able to take advantage of the victory. The black death is coming, and no one will remain unscathed by it. This is uh, Alex Shrugg's uh, take on this. The king's response to the black prince's request is a new twist on the old Spartan saying, return with your shield or on it. Prince Edward's Woodstock reputation is made in this battle. Um, my take, just when you think you've got it beat, sometimes there's something else coming that's far worse. That's why we prepare. You're in a battle. I mean, think about the battles of the day. This guy's taken out off of his horse to the ground, clearly injured for that to happen. Has to have one of his people pick him up off the ground takes his sword and starts chopping through man and beast. Uh, cold steel battle here. And says, Dad, help me. And Dad says, I ain't got nothing for you, kid. Get it done or die trying. That's basically what, you know, suffer him to win his spurs means. Get it done or die trying. And he gets it done. And they cripple their enemy forces. And man, they should be in position now to end this war. But another enemy's coming, a silent stalker, one that you can't defeat with a sword, the Black Death. That's why we prepare, folks. You never know when some medical metaphorical version of the Black Death is coming. And remember, uh, things happen that don't just happen to everybody. Sometimes they just happen to you, and it matters. On that note, do consider joining the Member Support Brigade if you'd like to help support this show. The MSB is how you could do that. You get discounts to over 40 different vendors that provide the stuff that you're probably buying anyway, so your membership will pay for itself. You get content that's available nowhere else. I'd love to have you as a member of the Member Support Brigade. Just go to the Survival Podcast and click on Members. Military, Law Enforcement, Peace Corps, Active Duty, and Prior Service, along with First Responders like EMTs, paramedics, and firefighters. All of you guys qualify for a discount. If you email me at jack at com, put service discount in the subject line in one or two sentences, tell me about your service. I'll respond back to you with a uh, discount code that will save you uh, even more money on a product that already saves you a ton of money. I would like to remind you guys that if you're going to pay online, I take PayPal. That's the only form of payment I take online uh, because I do not endorse the use of credit cards. If you want to fund your cre- PayPal account with a credit card, that's fine. But I think it would be unethical for me to have a credit card account for TSP when I tell you don't use credit cards. So I don't do that. 
If you don't want to pay with PayPal, I understand. I just hope it's not because you think they're anti-gun. They're more, no more anti-gun than they're anti-cigarette or anti-alcohol or anti-Indian artifact. Um, interstate commerce in that world is just something you don't jack around with. Anyway, if you don't want to pay with PayPal for whatever reason, you can pay by mail. I take cash, check. I take silver. If you want to barter something, get in touch with me. We'll see about it. And I do take Bitcoin. You can find out more. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members. All right, with that, let's get into the uh, main topic of today's show. Before I bring Dimitri on, I want to give you guys a heads up on Permaethos. The PDC will likely be released on the 20th. That's Tuesday next week. Maybe. If not Tuesday, Wednesday. I want to do the 20th because of the Homestead Act and all, but if not Tuesday, it'll be Wednesday next week. I've got some stuff to get taken care of yet. Um, at this point, for a business to open a bank account, I have to do everything short of give a DNA sample and pee in a cup. It's ridiculous what it takes for a new business to open a bank account, even in frickin' Texas. Of course, it's federal government that causes it, not the state of Texas. Anyway, um, I do want to remind you guys that Permaethos is something bigger than me, bigger than the TSP community. Uh, Permaethos is designed to be a flagship farm. Uh, one that will demonstrate that you can do large-scale production using permaculture techniques right here in the United States of America. But it's designed to establish the systems and methodologies necessary to build not one or two, but in the end, hundreds of farms. And that might be, I might be an old man before there's a hundred, but I'm damn sure going to set us on the path to get it done. I'm expanding the vision very, very quickly. We're coming up with ways to incorporate people with smaller acreages, backyard nurseries, plant businesses, you name it, we're going to figure out how to do this in a way that empowers people at all levels. I am going to make a commitment right from the beginning. The people that back what we're doing early on when we're asking for your help to take a permaculture design course worth $1,500 for $300, then when we're doing that, I'm going to do a 1,000 people at that price. That's going to put, I know it sounds like a lot of money, but when you put it into a farm, and you're paying salaries, and you're making sure people get set up right, and you're providing housing and food and things like that, it only goes so far. And, you know, we have to pay the tax, man, because I can't do it as fundraising because of the government. Um, hopefully it, it springboards us into at least a second property. It's going to springboard us into the production of audio and video content like you've never seen before in your life. The big thing about being one of the first thousand, though, when we close that program down, we sell the 1,000th membership, We will not sell another PDC for quite a while until the whole course is done because we can only manage so many students at a time. Those thousand people will forever be our foundational members and they will get first consideration on everything Permaethos ever does and anything Permaethos ever provides, we will build a discount into for our foundational members. I don't know that there's anything else like that out there. I wanted to do this thing where my foundational members were shareholders. One day, I see us being able to build a cooperative, a co-op, built on the backs of multiple farms and multiple business models, with the business being run by the members for the purpose of the members. It will probably be a parallel organization that Permaethos will have ownership in. Now, to get there, I need a foundation. Because I can't do a co-op without enough diversity across the country if I want to do something that people can participate in nationally or, frankly, even internationally. I will tell you flat out, 
the people that we if we if we ever I'm not saying we're going to ever have a co-op. I'm telling you that's a goal. We don't know all the hurdles that could be in the way, but if we build one eventually, again, first consideration go to our foundational members. I'm telling you, I'm making you an honest to god commitment that this is worth doing even if you don't want to take the course. Even if you just want to kind of audit the course, go through it, you don't want your full certification, the value of the knowledge we'll give you, the education and entertainment value of having someone like Kelly Hernan film this is going to be extensive. Joe is an incredible teacher and having uh, myself and Nick Ferguson as your Q&A mentors, I'm telling you, I and Nick both have the ability to take things that people have asked 10 different people, very good teachers in permaculture, a hundred times and they still don't get, we answer it, people get it. That's why we're doing this. We put together kind of a dream team here and I'd like you to consider becoming a member with us and getting on board early and helping us make a very successful launch out of this. I'm going to be very disappointed if we don't sell at least 50% of these things. I think we'll sell them out, but you just never know. You just never know, and I'm trying to build this up without hype. I'm not promising you anything we can't deliver, and I'm not promising to do anything that I don't think we can get done. What I am telling you is we're going to give this thing hell, and it's my way of telling the establishment we, we will not go away, We will not accept good enough in our food system. We will not accept good enough in our economies. We will prove out libertarian ideals are compatible with permaculture ethics, and we will do it in the face of the establishment. That's why I'm doing this. I am not doing this for money. I know that people say that all the time, but I'm really not. I can sit here and do my podcast every day for the rest of my life until I'm an old man and I'm in good shape. I'm doing this because I believe in the ideals of it. It's the only thing that could take me back into basically forming a corporation and acting as a board member. It's the only thing in the world. We're going to make it happen. Again, I'm asking you to come along with me. And when we do that, I'll tell you what, there will be some herbal components to what we're doing. Um, I have an awesome lady to talk about herbal stuff today. Again, Demetria Clark. She's awesome, guys. I mean, this gal is not just somebody that one day decided to start slapping some herbs together. I guess at one time she was, but things have changed since then. She's a North American herbalist specializing in herbs for pregnancy, birth, postpartum, uh, nursing, and children. She's also a traditional family herbalist and aromatherapist. She's worked with families for over 20 years as an herbalist, aromatherapist, midwife, And traditional medical, metal, traditional medical, traditional medicine maker. She works extensively in the United States and Europe, blending the two traditions together. She lectures extensively on herbal care for sexuality, pregnancy, and women's health. Um, she believes families having options to self-empower and have health and wellness options is extremely important. She's also the founder and director of Heart of Herbs Herbal School at heartofherbs.com and uh, the Doodle Training Program at Birth Arts International at birtharts.com. She's the author of Herbal Healing for Children and 475 Herbal and Aromatherapy Recipes. Her next two books are slated for release in late 2014 and then another one in 2015. So this gal, like I said, she knows what she's doing. She's been around and uh, when you have that type of experience in herbology, it's something really special. There's a lot of people that talk about it. This is somebody that really knows about it and uh, practices it and does it every day. And with that, hey, Demetria, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Hey, we have you on today to talk about uh, herbal medications, and it's really fortuitous. I just actually did a show last week that I did myself on perennial herbs, and there was a tremendous amount of uh, interest in that. 
And um, I think there's a tremendous amount of interest in general in, in the audience about herbal opportun- you know, herbal uh, preparations, making their own, growing their own, things like that. So I think you're in a, a good place uh, right now to talk to the audience. But uh, can you talk about what got you involved in uh, herbals in general? How did you, you know, what's your background and how did you come to this uh, this world? Well, it was really kind of just like one of those things you stumble upon in childhood. And so people who worked with herbs were always these kind of like cool mythical creatures. And then I ended up um, starting to experience intense migraines all the time. And I was seven and eight years old and they'd be accompanied by bloody noses and just like all of this this different kind of stuff. And I, I just knew something was wrong. And, and I'm this little kid, not really sure what's going on. But I found that when I was feeling really bad, there was always this leaf that I chewed on. And I know this sounds a little space, Casey. But 20 years later, I find out that this leaf was one of a very early Native American folk remedies for migraine. And it was just kind of one of those things that was always a part of me in one way or another. I'd either be working in a garden uh, making teas, even when I was really little, making doll dresses out of plants. And it was just kind of something that was always there. And then as I got older and entered my teen years, that's when I started an official and formal study in different settings. Like um, I, you know, managed and cared for the gardens at a commune. I designed gardens at a boarding school that I was at. I went to a Quaker boarding school, and they allowed me to design the the herbal gardens then I started apprenticing. I followed the Grateful Dead and made medicine for a few years when, when I did that because when people are out on the road, they need to know how to get better. And, of course, there wasn't free health care or anything like that. So I just kind of became one of those people that, hey, I'm not feeling good. I've got, you know, road diarrhea or I've got a cough or I've got this. What, what can I do for it? And I just kind of became that person that people would go to and then I just continue to formally train and find teachers to train with and schools to officially attend as an herbal student and then I started my own school so it was really kind of like it wasn't it wasn't like I said I'm going to choose to be an herbalist it was like a slot was already open when I was born it's like oh you're going to that job don't worry about it sweetie you'll be fine and you know I, I listened to it and just did it and went with it Oh, that's 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 really cool, and it, I I find that people that are the best at what they do always seem to have taken some sort of a crooked path to get where they are. Um, even if it seems destined, it was never like you didn't know that. Uh, yeah. You kind of found these different circumstances, and you ended up following your instinct, your intuition, and occurrences in life, and then you find something that actually you're passionate about, and you do that. And and people like that not only seem to be better at what they do, they also seem to be happier. Well, I'm definitely I'm definitely I don't know if I would say I'm better than my peers, but I'm probably a lot happier than most people. So <laughs> I just have I just have one of those those I'm very lucky, so and I and I know it and I'm totally aware of that. So that just makes life so much better. But I do agree that sometimes it just seems like if you just if you just let the road keep flowing underneath your feet, you're eventually going to go where you need to go instead of fighting it the whole way. So for people out there, I mean, like, obviously, why herbal for you? You've just kind of told your story that led you there. 
But for the person that hasn't been led there, that says, you know, why would I choose herbs over prescription medication or over-the-counter medication or conventional doctors, what would you tell that person that says, why herbs in the first place? Well, I think herbs should be the first choice. So I kind of look at it from the perspective of if you are home and you are ill, what is the first thing you should do? Is it, I have a tummy ache, I must instantly call the doctor and run to the emergency room? Or should you say, wow, I really ate like crap yesterday, that's probably why my stomach hurts. Or my kids have been sick with the same thing, so maybe I have a bug. Trying to figure out intuitively and gathering knowledge from your surroundings on why you're not feeling good. I think that we jump to the most tragic conclusion instantly, so we have to, like, make this big emergency, you know, out of having heartburn or, you know, having a little bit of a fever, which is nature's way of resetting our clocks. When, when we're, you know, we, we don't always need to suppress everything. We don't always need to, like, treat everything like it's going to kill us. We need to just, you know, kind of say, okay, well, why am I not feeling good? And then saying, well, what herb is good for that? What, what can I do to actively change the way my body's feeling? Then if that doesn't work, put a call in with your, you know, your midwife, your nurse practitioner, your doctor, and say, I'd like to schedule an appointment. If something happens between the time of the appointment and something else, then it becomes an acute situation, and then you can go to the emergency room or say, you need to see me now. I think in this culture of I want everything right now, we're doing this to our health. So when we do that, we're saying to our bodies, you can't get better unless we give you a drug, unless we give you a pharmaceutical. And it really, I think, this is just my my opinion, I think it does ourselves a great disservice because we're not allowing our body's own natural immune system to kick in and take hold. We're always fortifying it with some kind of chemical. And I think if we're going to fortify it with something first, it's, I, think it's, I think it should be something herbal. I don't think it should be, you know, if, if a butter knife will do the job, you don't need a chainsaw. Sure. And that's how I kind of think about it. It's just to me, it just seems to make more sense to say, um, you know, I have a little bit of an earache. I'm going to use garlic oil versus I have an earache. We need to remove my ear. <laughs> yeah, and can you talk about a little bit about how you balance that approach against going to full on what I call replacement therapy, where every single thing that you would take a drug for, there's an herb you take instead. I think there's places for that. When I'm kind of achy and sore, I use a formula from Western Botanicals. It's an anti-inflammatory. It has uh, turmeric as the primary ingredient. It's got some other things. It works really well, and I see the value in that. But I also see people getting into a point where everything, instead of this pill, I'm taking this pill, and this pill has herbs in it, where to me, herbs are more of a lifestyle and more about tonifying the body sometimes and things like that. I use herbs every day that I don't really consider medicinal, but yet I know they have medicinal properties. Mint teas, I, I actually drink mint and comfrey tea, even though the government says I'll die. Um, and things like that I find are more preventative, and you're not always just trying to replace one thing with another. I absolutely agree. And and this is how I kind of this is how I kind of look at this situation is herbs first and foremost are foods 
right? They are food Correct. plants. They're almost ex- you can find herbs in almost every every country's palate um, for preservation, nutrients, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that if we start looking at herbs as something as practical as food and stop looking at them as replacements for drugs, we're actually going to get a bigger overall value. Because if you're someone who suffers from inflammation, you can add a lot of these different herbs to your food. If you have a child that's coming down, you know, if if your kids are, I always joke, if your kids are getting sick, make spaghetti. Make your own sauce. (laughs) Put a lot of garlic, oregano, and basil, and guess what? No one's getting sick. You may not want to kiss anyone, but no one's getting sick. You know, if you have a daughter who has really severe menstrual cramps and you want to be a really good mom and you know she's not going to take something, make her pesto. Pesto is really good for menstrual cramps. Pesto is made from basil and garlic. And, you know, so if we start with looking at things from really its most primal use for nutrition, tonification, and sustenance for our minds and our bodies, then we can say, okay, this isn't really, this isn't working. I actually now need to look at the herb from the perspective of I need some medicine. And then saying, this is what we do next. So we're not constantly saying, well, I used to be on Prozac, but now I take 45 St. John's work capsules a day and I'm all fine. You know, I mean, I think that's, I think that's the way that the industry has done us a disservice because we've wanted to say these drugs are really dangerous. Some of them are really bad and there are some great herbal alternatives. But instead of getting that message across, we said, you can use this instead. This is a replacement for. And I almost always say to a client or a student who says, well, I'm taking this drug, this drug, this drug, da, 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 da. what can I use instead? And I say, wait a second. Okay, first you need to tell me why you're using these things, and then you need to talk to your doctor. And then we need to come up with a protocol to wean or change or alter that's working with your care provider. So we're not sitting here and completely, you know, changing the fabric of things without the proper knowledge and education. And a lot of people don't want to do that work. They just want to say, I want to stop taking this, and I want to start taking that. And I think and that's too real, simple. There real dangers there too, right? Because oh, there are plenty of pharmaceuticals that I believe people should never start taking unless mm-hmm. it's the only way to survive. But once they have begun taking them, it's often not a simple process to just stop. That can actually be very dangerous where, yes, maybe you should have never started, but now the body has become adapted to that, that substance and you have to be removed from it slowly over time. Some of the things that are as simple as things that are supposed to be for indigestion are like that. You can have real problems getting blood pressure medications. Even if the person's blood pressure wasn't sufficiently out of bounds to need it once you're on it it's difficult to get off oh absolutely i mean that's see that's the thing we're looking for answers we've like googleized our world and we've said well we can take this one instead so let's just stop doing this and doing that and then all these huge problems are occur so someone says well i'm on a statin i'm going to go off a statin i'm going to use a different herb instead whatever they decide to use and then they go to their doctor, well, I started taking herbs. Now, who's the problem in this scenario? 
It won't be the doctor. It won't be the patient. It's going to be the herb's fault, and the herb had nothing to do with that. Correct. <laughs> you know, yeah. so it's like, it's you know, it's really like this this jumble of I want it and I want it now instead of saying, wait, we need to educate ourselves. The first and foremost, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I, you know, I think they should be teaching proper, like, whole nutrition in schools, and that can include some things about wild greens and herbs and, and things like that. But we need to start thinking about things in a way that's less consumeristic. I mean, it's like, you know, we're just like that mouth that's open, shoving everything in, yeah, the, the, and, and we're the, not thinking about it. And the tab A, slot B mentality, you have this problem, you have this solution. I mean, you were talking about herbs as food, and... I did a show years ago, and I just looked it up now because I don't have the memory to be able to remember it because this is show like 1340-something, and this was show 698, so it was a while ago. Um, but it was just on cooking with the – I called it the five horsemen of culinary herbs, parsley, oregano, dill, basil, and rosemary. Mm-hmm. Now, all of those are foods, and you mm-hmm. wouldn't think of them medicinally. But I looked up, and all five of them have ten herbal actions in common – a couple of them, I won't leave the whole list, but antioxidant, antibiotic, antimicrobial, antiviral, hepatic, tonic, anti-inflammatory, um, carminative, and vacillator. So those are very gentle herbs, but they all have all of those components to them. And if we're including that type of, and not, you know, the dried up McCormick pinch of this and pinch of that <laughs> crap, but significant amounts of these culinary herbs, fresh or properly dried, in our cooking, like you were talking about with the spaghetti sauce, there is that constant tonifying effect in all of these different actions, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, gosh, I'm saying absolutely a lot. But, yes, definitely. I mean, I think that, um, I think that you know, we continue to make these, these assumptions and assertions that we can just, you know, fiddle with whatever we want, and if anything's wrong, it's not our fault. It's someone else's or something else's. And that, again, removes the responsibility of it from our, or from ourselves. So if we can say, well, it's not my fault, I read this article or I listened to this lady on the radio and I did what she said, then that is removing, and it's what the drug companies have done to us, and I really think this because of the way that drugs are given and prescribed to people as, you know, a cure-all for everything, we, we don't allow ourselves to be responsible and say, wait, I need a little con- informed consent here. I need to actually take a look at what I'm taking. We just hear, oh, this will make this go away, and we say, okay, where do I sign up? And we do that with everything in our lives, and we're going to continue down this road of just goofiness. Instead of saying, you know what, uh, you know, it, it's it's just so it's just so funny to me because people are like, oh well, it's so much work to make a cup of tea every day. I'm like, really? Because <laughs> you make coffee, you stand in line at Starbucks for tw- no, I probably shouldn't have said a brand name. You stand in line at one of the goofy coffee shops for 25 minutes, and. <sighs> You know, all this stuff's going on and some guy's spelling your name wrong and acting like you're an idiot because you're not buying the right kind of beans. And then and then that's not too much effort, but taking a few teaspoons or something, adding hot water to it, walking away, coming back 20 to 30 minutes later and drinking it 
is way too much work. And I, I just don't understand that. And I myself have been in that situation, like, when I know I have to do it. But it's like, you have to feed your kids every day. You have to feed your pets every day. You wake up and you say, I have to have my cup of coffee or I have to have my cup of tea. Why not just saying, okay, it's time for my, you know, morning infusion because I've been feeling run down lately. You know, we we need to reframe the way that we look at our lives. I mean, we can spend like, you know, four hours shopping for a pocketbook so we get the right one, but we can't make ourselves, you know, a cup of tea that's going to actually help us, you know, sleep better or whatever, you know. It's just very interesting to me. Yeah, I agree completely, and I think that, like, I'm trying to actually get back on track with my outline here, but you're saying so many cool things that it makes me think of this stuff. Like, the tea thing to me is, it's crazy to me that we don't think about that one more. Because I have 15, 20 plants just randomly growing on my property that I can go out at any one time and make a tea from. Mm-hmm. And and that is more of a relaxing experience because it's a cup of hot tea than just what's in it, but yet it has all these benefits to it, and it's so basic, and it's so simple, and it's so beneficial, but the average person knows more about Kim Kardashian's ass or baby bump than they know about how to make a cup of tea from their backyard. And then they'll go out and they'll spend a lot of money to buy a tea bag of, of in many instances, a bunch of crap. Mhm. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know that the Kardashians are really exciting or whoever, you know, I I get it, you know. Any woman who's that pregnant and can wear heels that high will be like in a completely different universe than I live in, but you know, the act of, you know how you were saying you go out in your yard. So let's let's like reframe this. We're going to take our shoes off. It's right before the sun goes down on the dew sets, and we want some dandelion or whatever. We feel like we're retaining a little water, so go get some dandelion and plantain. That's in almost every yard in the country. So you take your shoes off. The grass is a little long. You can roll your pants up, and you walk out. And before you bend over and just yank that right out of the ground, just let your feet, you know, get a little tickled by the grass and just stand there for a second and just breathe and bend over Grab your few leaves. If you do some kind of thank you, do your thank you. If you don't, you know, whatever, go on. Take a few more steps, find your plantain, do the same thing. So now you've spent five minutes just breathing deeply, your feet connected to the earth. You're doing something that's good for your body. So you're feeling empowered, right? Because you're feeling all like kung fu about this because you're like, what? I'm so awesome. I'm taking care of myself. I got my plants in my yard, you know. No, And then, you know, you turn around and you come back into the house and you get your kettle going. You put your leaves in, you know, your canning jar, your cup, whatever. Pour the water over. And then you're going to go and sit down and just relax for 20 minutes while it steeps. If you want to let it steep longer, fine. You don't. You don't have to. I mean, it's it's really personal. I always say 20 minutes because that's a that's a number people can like handle. If I you know say to someone four hours, they look at me like I've lost my eyeballs. So you sit down for 20 minutes and just let it steep and just relax, and then pour it into your cup. Sit down and drink it, and everyone will be bouncing around you because you probably have life going on in your house, but just take that time, 
So you've just given yourself a half-hour window to say, I'm worth taking care of myself, and I'm going to do this. And if you can start getting into the habit, not only are you doing something that's going to help just the whole process, bring down your blood pressure, get you breathing more regularly, get you breathing deeper, slowing everything down, because this is a process you have no control over. It needs to steep for however long it needs to steep. You can't, you, if you super boil the water, it still needs to steep for the same amount of time. And you just relax and don't mess with your phone, don't mess with nothing. You are then, if you have children or a spouse, modeling this behavior of I'm going to take this time for myself, relax, and I'm going to breathe, and I'm going to do this for myself, which then empowers your spouse and your children or the other people in your environment. And it's really more than just pouring a cup of tea. I mean, functionally, that's all it is. But if you think about the whole process that you can you can give yourself, it, it's really quite amazing. And we've just gotten to this point where we're going to hop in the car, we're going to drive five miles, we're going to wait in line for 20 minutes for iced tea, chai, latte with double half foam, cream, soya, whatever. So we'll wait in line for 20 minutes, then we're going to wait for 10 minutes while people are pushing into us and being obnoxious or, you know, oh, they took the table I wanted, blah, blah, blah. Then we're going to drink it for 20 minutes, but i got to get going because I've already spent 20 minutes in line. I can't believe I spent 20 minutes in line for this again today. And then we get back in the car and we either go home or we go wherever we're going. I mean, those are two completely different experiences. And why aren't we choosing to give ourselves the one that actually is going to make us feel better? Because we're going to feel empowered. I mean, you, look, if you can't handle, oh, I can't handle the taste of tea, put some honey in it. Put whatever, put some maple syrup. I don't really care. Just get yourself thinking about things differently. Have lemon balm tea. Have peppermint tea. You know, just, you know, because it's, I just think we're just getting to this point where if it's not so grand and fabulous, if we're not Kardashian up our cup of tea, then we we are not really living and I think the problem is that we're spending too much time in the car and in line, and that's not really living. Yeah, I, I would agree a lot. Now, if people want to take it a little bit beyond making a cup of tea and cooking with herbs and learn more about herbology, and uh, either for themselves or for the people that they care about around them, what type of opportunities are to learn about it? I mean, is it an expensive thing, you know, if it's beyond just reading books on your own or things like that? or you actually do courses online. I mean, what are the options for people out there? Well, there's the options are as endless as your imagination. So you can you can completely self-educate. There's lots of people who do that. You can enroll in a formal mode of instruction. So, like, we run an herbal school, and we have a bunch of different courses online and herbs and aromatherapy. And it's basically like a full-time course of study, but it's at your own pace because I'm not a real schedule junkie, <laughs> you know, because there are seasons and you can't dig herbs in the middle of winter in Manitoba, just saying. So, um, and then there's, you know, herbal schools that you can go and attend classes at. And the prices really range from, you know, the lower end is three to 500 and the upper end is six, seven thousand. It just really depends. If you, you know, when you are interested in herbal school, first thing you should do is call them and make sure they're a good fit for you. 
Because you may call a $7,000 herbal school and find out that they're not really offering anything more than the $500 one. And so that's really important to ask questions, find out what's available. Um, some people think that, you know, if they pay a lot, lot more, they're getting much, much better. Other people are always looking for a good deal. So it's just really, you know, find something that works for you and then honor their honor their setup and decide, you know, ask your questions, you know, and, and do your research. And, you know, I mean, I think that it's it's really important when choosing an herbal school to ask questions and to not not be a baby if it's not what you want. <laughs> you know, you have to say, okay, this is what I want. I'm going to be a grown-up and I'm going to, you know, get this done or you know, this isn't something that I want to do. And really, you know, don't call a school and ask them to cure you over the phone of anything, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, you know, that does sometimes happen. But, I mean, that aside, just really, you know, ask lots of questions and make sure they're, uh, you know, accessible. Because if you enroll, you know, you want to make sure your questions get answered. And a lot of people offer, you know, certifications, but... Mm-hmm. Who certifies a certification? I mean, what makes a certification valid? Um, who recognizes it? That type of thing. Well, in the United States, there isn't there isn't formal recognition. There's a few guilds that offer um, their own recognition, and what that does is it it says that you've reached a certain level of training. The certification comes from the school, and that's why I stressed so much to talk to the school because you want to be proud of where you went to school and a lot of school like our school is set up on the more of a European system because I always figured that if the United States adopted some kind of certification layout um, at the federal level or even at the state level that they would want to adopt one that's already in place and so Europe does have some formal recognitions that are already in place. So we modeled our our setup after that. But other schools have different setups. Um, so it's really just a it's really just a matter of finding one that that you feel comfortable with and asking, you know, if you're a doctor, see it, make sure that they've trained other doctors. We train lots of doctors, nurses, midwives, massage therapists, moms, dads, you know, the whole gamut because we have had so many students. We've had over um, 30,000 students in almost 20 years of being in business. Now, um, there are some other schools that specialize in certain kinds of students, so they only work with doctors, chiropractors, naturopaths. So just, you know, asking lots of questions is really the best place to start. I think just just like when we look at... um something like herbs versus prescription medications and we don't want to go to a one-for-one replacement we also have to look at like an herbal education is not like going and getting a degree in engineering where there's a lot of jobs out there that that's one of the boxes they tick off mm-hmm. it seems to me that a lot of opportunities uh for people when it comes to getting a certification in herbs or herbology or anything in alternative health is either going to be entrepreneurial or adjunctive so it's either the person does something like with an herbal education begins to do something like uh, an herbal products business that may be more of um, 
something like uh, shampoos and, and stuff like that, or a person that gives tours and, and explains the plants that are around, or a person that, like you said, is like a doctor that says, look, I understand that I spent 12 years of my life to get this level of professional ability, but there's more to it than that, and then they can add that in. And it's it's more like either that adjunctive thing or a very entrepreneurial thing if you want to make a living doing it. Well, I mean, part of that's true, but another part of what's going on is is at least I am finding with my students, we are having an expansion. So we've trained a few tea formulators from a few of the major tea companies in the United States or foreign ones that have offices in the United States. So there's those kinds of jobs opening up. There's also um, a lot of people are who run health food stores or, or part of like the health food store chains. They're paying for their employees to take programs like, like ours because that, that it does fit in with their job description, but it's actually adding to their overall job picture. Uh, a lot of nurses are starting to take the classes because they work in hospice care or cancer units or um, labor and delivery, and a lot of people are coming in saying, I use this herb, I use that herb. And so it's kind of um, it's kind of growing in, in really fabulous ways that maybe 20 years ago, when I was starting out, I wouldn't have thought that it was. People are becoming incredibly creative with where and how they want to use herbs. And I think that, you know, the World Health Organization says, you know, 80% of people in the world use some kind of herbal therapy, or I may have the number off a little bit. But essentially, I think what that's saying to the overall greater picture of how the world is working is that, look, we're going to be using this, so you neither need to get on the boat or, you know, <laughs> you're going to be left behind. Well, because sure. we have, we have, um, we've had a, a major sports medicine, you know, coach who worked with one of the big teams. He came because, you know, he wanted to, he wanted to know more about how to, you know, help his, um, the players. Um, you know, which is very cool for my kids, but I need my mom prop whenever I can get it. But, yeah. um, you know, so, you know, and then there's like midwives, um, doulas, childbirth educators. I mean, all of these other people are saying, okay, this has to become a component in my livelihood because of the demand. So I think with the that dem- demand, do you think that there's probably a lot of opportunity for growers as well, and people oh, get, yeah. get the the understanding, and then with the understanding of what is is best and how to market that, and what's in short supply and what will work well in your climate. With that knowledge combined, people can actually make a decent living farming, if you want to call it that, without having the land necessary to farm something like corn or potatoes. You need thousands of acres to make a living doing that. But I know for a fact several people that do a really good herbal business, either growing for people that that, that uh, produce product or growing for production from a standpoint of providing plants, roots, and cuttings, seeds, that type of thing as well, because that's a big growth market. It really is. And here's the cool thing. It's a high-end product. They demand a higher, they demand a very high-end quality 
the consumer of the herbal product, and they don't mind paying for it. So if you can, you know, if you put the time in or you grow plants that um, we don't want to take from the wild anymore. So we don't necessarily want to take American ginseng or golden seal from the wild anymore. But if you grow that, you know, I used to always joke with students that, you know, if you really want to make the big drug dealer money, you grow those plants. Sure. <laughs> you know, and nobody's going to get hurt. You know, I mean, so, you know, if you start thinking about it from the perspective of having a sustainable income from herbs, there's lots and lots of ways to do it, especially, you know, herbal medicine, unless we just completely destroy the planet, will not go away. I mean, you go to a construction site where everything has been ripped, just ripped asunder. There's like, you know, big chunks of concrete from an old building site and garbage, you know, just stuff everywhere, right? Rotten old bulldozers, the whole deal. What are you going to find there? You're going to find your nettles. You're going to find your dandelion. You're going to find chickweed. You're going to find cleavers. You're going to find all these plants that are like, you can't take us out, you know, and... So no matter, I mean, unless we completely get rid of all green life on this planet, herbs aren't going anywhere. They just, you know. Agreed. And you brought up a really important thing, growing plants that we don't want to be taking out of the wild. I did a show last week where I said I I featured 10 perennial herbs, and several of them I pointed out that they have been over-harvested. One that's used a lot in formulations both for anti-inflammation and for women's issues is black cohosh. There's only like 2 million pounds harvested out of the wild every year, and it's an easy plant to grow. It's an easy plant to propagate, but it has been over-harvested in the wild, and that's that's another example of why we need to be learning more about this, because those plants play a niche in the wild that is beyond what they can do for us. Oh, you're right. And, I mean, and when we start having plants that have values of street drugs, yeah. Because people are going and poaching them from the wild and stealing them from the, from the wild. Because that's what I think it is. I mean, I, I see no difference in poaching plants that are protected than killing, you know, bears for for their bile. I mean, I just don't see the difference. And if we do that, then we're going to find that there's more there's more potential for counterfeit. There's more potential. Um, there's been series of tests done occasionally on different kinds of herbs that are in that situation, and they're cut just like, you know, I hate going back to the whole drug dealer thing. But, I mean, it is, you know, something that we need to consider and say, wait a second, I can buy this plant a foot tall, right? I can buy it a foot tall from the farmer's market or something like that for 15 bucks. I'm going to grow four or five of them, or I'm going to grow this. That's, you know, you can say to yourself, this is my contribution to the future of this plant and to the future of my planet. And you get a nice-looking plant in the bargain. We'll pay, you know, I don't know, 20 30 bucks every season to have a little perennial that's there for like – or not a perennial, sorry, an annual that's there for like two weeks and then it's gone. So why can't we make some long-term investments, people? I mean – when you think about the real expense, it really isn't that expensive. I mean, people spend $5 a day in a cup of coffee or, um, you know, 
three, four, five hundred dollars on a purse that they can't really afford. And we can justify these things. They're two hundred dollars a month for a cell phone. But when it comes down to twenty to thirty dollars to be able to invest in making our you know, empowering ourselves and empowering our community, we want nothing to do with it. And it's really quite sad. And I mean some of these things I'm going back to the show just because it's fresh in the mind of the audience they covered last week. They're really easy to propagate, even though they're over-harvested in the wild. Black cohosh, as I mentioned, is one. Valerian, true valerian is another. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, stone root, blood root, these are plants that have been heavily, heavily over-harvested, but they produce from rhizomes and cuttings and divisions, so there's no reason we can't be growing them in backyards. Oh, and there, a lot of them are shade plants. I mean, like, yep. who doesn't have that little corner of their yard where, quote, nothing will grow? Everything I just said is a shade. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, we'll do okay in the shade, but black cohosh, valerian, yep. uh, dream root, all of these things do well in the shade. Uh, if you get cohosh into, like, more than, you know, less than 70% shade, it tends to not be happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course, you have to, you know, look at, look at you know, everything individually. But the reality is, is those things are also hardy. Yeah. And strong, so they'll they'll often say, "Yeah, I know this is like the yucky patch. I'll totally fill it in. Don't worry about it." Yeah. You know, and they'll, and they'll like you know they don't need uh, constant adoration and sunshine like echinacea. You know, they're like, "Oh, I'll fill that in. No, no problems. I got this." Because they're worker plants. You know, they're they're part of what you know fills our forest, and they provide so many different. Just so many different uses for insects and birds and us and other animals that it's just it just seems to me like an incredible waste of time and resources not to do our part and occasionally just say you know what I'm going to plop one of these in the backyard I I just don't even know how hard that is. Do you ever run into people that say well herbs can't you know perform a coronary bypass so what good are they or you know, they can't do everything that medicine can. Okay. No, people don't say that stuff to me. <laughs> I think they know that I'll, you know, I just I just get one of these looks on my face. It's like, really, you don't need that head. But I have heard people say those kinds of things. And no, they can't. Yeah, no one says they can't, that word, right? Well, you know what? Neither can your car. You know, neither can that beer you're drinking, but you are enjoying it, which is made possible by plants. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, I think that I think that when people say those kinds of things, I just think they're coming up with the most affine argument to think I'm up with. Well, it can't. You know, you can't remove a tumor with. No, but a scalpel can't do it on its own either. Correct. You know, and. But, I mean, that would just be too easy. I mean, wouldn't it just be fabulous to say, I need a butt lift, I'm going to go drink this cup of tea. Oh, look at my Buddha. I mean, come on. I mean, that would just like, you know, I mean, you know, women would be walking around with these huge butts because their husbands keep slipping them something because big booty's in. And then when, you know, when, you know, red hair's in, we'd all have red hair. I mean, you know, I mean, it's it's just too easy. And... You know, drugs can't perform those actions either. It's like drugs get a free pass. Well, when something's like, we're going to cause anal leakage 
and erectile dysfunction in the same thing. Okay, right. not only will your penis stop working, no one's going to want to have sex with you because it's running down your leg. I mean, come on. I, you know, that's, a, that's okay. The drugs do have side effects that are worse than the problems the drugs are for. Every day I see a drug commercial that says something like, side effects include, you know, uh, pain, suicide, stroke, and depression, stroke, depression, thoughts of suicide, and in rare cases, death. Tell mm -hmm. your doctor to give it to you today because it will help you feel better about the antidepressant medication you're already taking. Yeah. Uh, no. I, I, <laughs> I, and it is amazing to me that people put so much faith in drugs when I believe, if I'm correct, that uh, properly administered, uh, if you combine that with overdoses, etc., the prescription medications and conventional medical treatment is like the third leading cause of death in the United States. Yeah, herbs like don't even like really register on this chart they're of not top there. ten. Yeah, they're, they're you know, I mean, I think you're. I think this is just my opinion. This is not, you know, the word on high. I'm just a lowly herbalist. Um, but you know, I think you're probably more likely to like, you know, die in a household accident than you are to, you know, unless you eat something that's absolutely poisonous. But sure. that's not an herb. In my mind, something that's absolutely poisonous is never on the herbal table. So, <laughs> where do you come down on comfrey? I, I have come down this way. First thing I say is I'm not a master herbalist. I am not a medical practitioner, and I don't give such advice. But I believe the government has gone on a comfrey witch hunt. I, I do think the PAs in the roots are high enough that a lot of root could cause you real problems with the liver. But the amounts in the leaves, with small amounts being used for this and that, I, I see is personally inconsequential. And I, I just feel like the government doesn't like a plant that does as much as comfrey does. Well, okay, so comfrey is kind of interesting. Um, I, I don't really like the studies that they did on it. I don't think they were very scientific in their basis. I don't think that injecting a straight constituent under the skin of something and being surprised when it causes cancer is a big surprise. I'm like, oh, really? Well, duh. I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, you stick anything in its most defined constituent action under another, you know, creature's skin, there's going to be some kind of reaction. But I do agree that the root could potentially cause some issues. I would, would really like to go back in time four or five hundred years and actually see if people were using the root as much as we think they were. See, I think we always say, you know, I think that there's often this thing, well, if the leaf is good, the root's better, you know, because mm -hmm. we're American that way. If I eat one Tic Tac, it's good, but, I'll, I'll, you know, my poop will smell like bananas if I eat, you know, 45 containers of them. Sure. You know, so, I mean, you know, so I'm wondering if even traditionally there was as much root usage as we think there was. I'm thinking probably not. It was probably used for more cute situations mm -hmm. because if you take the root, you're taking the plant. Now, I know comfrey will spread like wildfire from every little root nub, but that just seems wasteful to me. So I just don't see it as being as prevalent. I think that some use of the leaf is fine. I think that you have to educate yourself. I, I You know, I will say when 
my son broke his collarbone. He was little. I didn't give him comfrey tea, but I did do a lot of compresses with the leaf and with the tea because he was only, you know, three, four years old. So I'm not going to fill his body with something I'm not totally sure of all of its safety. But, I mean, there is this huge, long use. I mean, people used it in salads. People used it. Thousands of years. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I'm thinking also it wasn't really a root thing as much as we'd like to think. But, you know, I think that, you know, there's so many, nobody says, hey, let's outlaw whiskey because someone may drink five or six glasses a night. You know, I mean, whole societies would have collapsed if whiskey wasn't around. I mean, let's just be honest, (laughs) you know, Um, you know, look at, look at, look at our histories or, or rum or anything like that. So, I mean, you know, is there, maybe there's just not enough money in Comfrey. So no one's really willing to go in and do some real research. It, it do does th- seem like one of the miracle plants, the things that I've personally witnessed it do. And I'm not saying if you get malignant lymphoma and wrap yourself on a leaf, you'll get better. I'm not saying that, but mm-hmm. I've seen the wound healing properties are almost unbelievable. Uh, I, I think it does do a good job at putting skin back together. I, I, I can't think of anything else that does what it does. I, I really can't. Um, I, I've seen it. Uh, just the leaf mashed up and rubbed on something like a, a fire ant bite, take it down immediately. I mean, like where the bite never really forms a blister like they normally do. Um, and I've definitely seen evidence of it being very effective in helping bones heal. I mean, yeah, those I've always things wanted... alone, if, if, they, if the pharmaceutical industry came up with a drug that did that, it would be on your TV 24-7, 365, probably with a list of side effects as well. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you're you're totally correct. I mean, I've always I've always kind of wondered uh, if we could make some kind of gel from the leaf. What kind of you know some because I have this this like vision of it being really beneficial for burn victims. If you could come up with some kind of gel oh, that could be sterilized and applied topically, and I've just always thought. Um, years ago, when I was a child, I had a cousin who, who was who was burnt, and she had to go through all these different kinds of skin grafts and and all of this kind of really painful stuff. And I always kind of wondered, even as a child, if there was something that we could, you know. And they're starting to like grow skin and coming up with all these different formulas to help heal skin. And I'm just wondering, you know, there's this beautiful superstar with these gorgeous leaves and these beautiful flowers. And she's just kind of like, I'll grow anywhere. I'm like totally down. Party anywhere. I'm there. She's, you know, she'll totally do any of that. She has all of this, you know, succulence about her. She's so strong. And it's like waving. You know, they always seem to be like waving. Like, hi, I'm over here. Come on. You want to come over and hang out, play? You know, what do you want to do? What do you want to do? (laughs) And I know that sounds really silly. But if you have a comfort plant, you totally know what I'm talking about. No, I know what you're talking about. (laughs) And I'm wondering if, you know, there isn't a reason for that. You know, and I know that may sound silly to some people, but, you know, that's where all these great ideas come from is someone's silly little inspiration. So who knows? You're saying completely. I have a friend, Nick Ferguson, and uh, actually uh, not Nick Ferguson, uh, Nick Bertner, and he describes Comfrey as like a hippie. 
Like, comedy's like a hippie. It just kind of hangs out, like, wherever, and everything's cool with comedy. So I've heard analogies like that before. We had a guy here at an event that we did that burned his, his wrist. It wasn't a big burn, but it was burned through several layers of skin. Mm-hmm. And I was showing people how to divide comfrey root, and we had a few small plants, and we gave him a couple leaves, mashed up, put it on the wound, put a Band-Aid over it. And in two days, the wound looked like it was two weeks old. It wow. Was, it, it, it was that evident. And people people were looking at it, having a hard time accepting it, and they couldn't really argue it because there it was in front of them. And, again, to me, it's a plant that's had a witch hunt against it. I think there's other plants that have, but it seems like the one with the biggest current witch hunt, uh, especially in the United States and in Australia. What are some of your other, like, go-to herbs that are beyond the, you know, the the spice cabinet, though, that you really like people to learn about and use? I know you mentioned garlic, and that's probably the one, if you told people you can only have one, they'd, they'd pick that. But going beyond the culinary stuff into the stuff that you can grow and make stuff from in your backyard, what are some of the other things that you just think that people should know more about? Um, I really, so I really love anything that is really nutritious and has a lot of action too. So I really like, uh, cause I, um, we'll say I'm frugal. I like to, you know, get the most out of, you know, what I've gotten and there's no way. So I really like, um, red raspberry. We've got the fruits, we've got the leaves, you know, you can even use the root, but you know, hey, I don't want to dig up my raspberry plants. You know, I really like, I really like red clover. It's abundant. It's everywhere. You can eat it. You can, you know, use it in teas and tinctures. I really like calendula. Arnica, I like chickweed and plantain and dandelion. I like things that are around me. I'm not, you know, and I've lived in, I've lived in, I've lived on two continents, been to 22 countries. I've had kids sick and, you know, getting, you know, I guess the Egyptian pyramid revenge or, or wherever, wherever we are. And I always find that what I need right then is where I'm at. So I always take a look, you know, what, where am I, what's going on, and what's available. So I really like things that are available. You know, when you're in the Middle East or, you know, Northern Africa, if you're not feeling good and you're surrounded by hibiscus, you're surrounded by, you know, all of these, these great fruits and vegetables that you wouldn't necessarily find in the United States. If you're in Greece or Italy, You've got the garlic, you've got oregano, you've got all of those kinds of things. So I really think that just finding finding out who's in your yard, mm. finding out who's who's being sold, you know, what's available at your farmer's market. So I like the things that, you know, I walk outside and, you know, I can, not, I'm not even talking about things that I've planted. Sure. I can find, because I can plant whatever I want. Sure. And I kind of plant whatever tickles my fancy. Um, and I've been on a big bee kick lately, so everything's got to be good for bees. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I like being able to say, I've got rose hips. I've got sure. roses with rose hips. I've got peonies. I've got, you know, calendula, chickweed, plantain, cleavers, burdock. You know, I've got these things already growing, mulberry, you know, blackberry, raspberry, blueberry, which blueberry is like the best thing for urinary tract infections. So, you know, we have, like, all of these really great things, 
around us all the time. So no matter where I am, those are what are my favorites. Yeah, you mentioned some that I, I really have a, an affinity for, and, and one that I will plant if it's not there on its own, though it's there often, uh, is, is plantain. I think it is, and it's not just the you know whatever common one shows up. There's there's many varieties of plantago, and it is, it is one of the other like miracle plants. I remember all the way back to when I was a kid, my grandfather putting it on a wound on his finger, and 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 and, and witnessing how much quicker that wound seemed to heal, and it's. It's very effective in a lot of things. I've, I've been, you know, stung by a red wasp and, and mashed, it, mashed it up. That and calendula together is just immediately anti-inflammatory, immediately gives pain relief. And it, it just seems like that should be naturally known that the things you need are probably around you. You can even think of it in, in the woods like um, jewelweed will help with poison ivy and it grows right with the poison ivy. Yeah. Seems like that thing just those types of things always happen if you open your eyes to the point that it's absurd that we don't know this anymore. Yeah, well, you know, oh yeah, don't even get me started on that. I just don't even understand like, you know, what's going on in our universe that we don't know that. But something you may think is cute. My kids used to call plantain and calendula swords and shields. Mm. And it was funny because for skin stuff, they kind of are, you know, they they cut everything up and get it back, you know, they get things going and back, back healing right away. But yeah, I mean, I don't understand why we've decided to, you know, I have, it's really interesting to me because I have some people who say they want to study herbs with me. And I say, that's great. And then they want to know if because I'm teaching herbs if I'm a witch or from the devil, <laughs> right? And then on the other hand, which is, oh, this is just like so hysterical to me. On the other hand, we have people who are like, I want to study herbs because that's God's medicine. So it's like, you know, I mean, like, you know, there, there's room for everyone in the herbal world. I mean, and it's just really interesting because I think by fracturing and dividing you know, they have herbalists, you know, one up in each other and bickering, just like with anything. But they say, oh, this isn't as good as drugs. And then people feel like their they're offering being brought to the table isn't as good as the big pharmaceutical thing. So they get all, you know, whatever and ego and, you know, all of this like really ridiculous stuff. But by doing this, it's exactly what they did to midwifery in the United States, right? Sure. So by doing this, they've, you know, they've given themselves control and we've let them we have said oh no that's fine you can completely dominate control and take away all of our power and we're going to let you because when you first started you said this comes from an herb it's just as good you know it's just like with formula and breastfeeding it's almost as good as a mother's milk no it's not there's not even like there's no equation that even says that will it offer potentially adequate nutrition for an infant? Yes. Is it the same thing? No. That's like, you know, getting a Fiero from the 1980s and saying it's as good as a Ferrari. No, it's not. If you've ever been to Italy and you've seen all those Ferraris, there's 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 no liking to it. Do they both run? Yes. So, I mean, I think, you know, we've allowed this to happen and we need to stop. (laughs) 
we need to say, butt out. This is my choice. I am an adult. I'm allowed to make these choices. You know, people always say to me, because I, I, I wrote this book, Herbal Healing for Children, and one of the things in it was the publisher wanted to make sure I got across the idea of, look, these are your kids. First and foremost, you are the expert of your children. And I am not going to let the 1% of D-bags who have kids and are crappy parents for their own, because they're, they're psychological issues or whatever else, control how I raise my children. Because that's living in fear. So if I want to say, no, we're going to try this herb first, I don't need to justify it to anyone. And I had that, that idea and philosophy way before I even had children. So I walk into a hospital. I think my son has an ear infection. I say, I think he has an ear infection. I need to know. They say yes, and they say, we're going to give you this drug. I said, okay, give me the prescription. I'm not going to pick it up unless I need it. I'm using this instead. So here I am. You know, I'm 23 years old, 22 maybe. I don't remember. We're not going to date myself. And she looked at me. And she said, okay, pick it up if you need it. Mm. This is what you need to look out for. We need to stop being like, is it okay if, are we allowed to? Like people will say, am I allowed to? And I'm like, what do you mean, are you allowed to? They're a doctor. You can hire or fire them just like you can hire or fire me. You don't have to because they have put themselves into a place of authority does not mean that you have to follow everything they say. Now, I'm not saying if you were under strict medical supervision to be like, well, forget it, I'm not doing this because Demetrius said to. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we have to be empowered and we have to say we own this. So if we are sick, we have options. It isn't just one thing or the other nine times out of ten. And we continue to let, you know, it's like, Point point zero 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 seven percent of all people who do this fall and crack their heads, whatever it is. And we say, we better never do that. Well, if we lived our lives that way, we'd never go upstairs. We'd never, like, sit on the toilet because we'd be afraid of having constipation, heart attack. We'd never, you know, I mean, there's all these things, and we allow, we have, we have allowed ourselves as people to lose this power, just like we've allowed them to box women in corners and give us the worst maternal and infant mortality rates in the industrialized world. Like, we are such a bad place to have a baby, but we still walk around with our peacock feathers out like we're all that in a bucket of whatever. And we can't do that. We have to start critically saying, why is this happening? Why aren't we stopping it? And if we don't do anything, then it's our fault. If we sit there and say, you can do whatever you want to my, my husband, my wife, my child, and then be, oh, wham, 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 when something happens, that's because we're not playing an active role. We're not saying, is there another way? So many people all the time, they want to put my kid on Ritalin. Well, do you feel like your child's hyperactive? You know, you go through the whole thing. And it's, well, no, 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 he's six, and he's in school from 8 a.m. to 3 p.m., and they don't have recess. Well, I've never met a six-year-old boy that can sit still that long. I mean, I just absolutely haven't. But we are continuing to say, that's okay. 
you can take my kid and have him that long and we're going to be okay with it. Instead of saying, wait a second, no, no, no. This kid needs to go outside and run around for 15 minutes every hour because that's what children do. Because obviously, I, I couldn't sit still that long. I'd be bouncing around the room. I mean, they would lock me away. I would be causing all kinds of ruckus to just like expend all this extra energy, especially as a child. But we are allowing this. So it's just a culture of allowing, I think, is the major problem and not saying, I am worth fighting for. My children are worth fighting for. And the only time we come out in mass is when, you know, there's something on social media we don't like. Did you hear what so-and-so tweeted about so-and-so? Really? Your kids are stuck sitting for eight hours on their patukas, and they're miserable because they took away your art, they took away your recess, and they took away your gym. And that's what gets you upset? I mean, you know, wow, I just went off on a rampage there. Sorry about that. No, that's all right. No, I, I completely <laughs> understand it. Um, let's try to rein it back in as we wrap up a little bit, though. Um We've talked a lot about herbs. We haven't talked about one of the products that comes from herbs much, but I know you do a lot with as well, so maybe we can talk a little bit about that before we wrap up, uh, essential oils. Mm, yeah. Um, did you have a question that you wanted me to well, cover? I was, or? Kind of, I was kind of kicking it over to you, but I mean, what are some of the things that you would do with essential oils a little bit differently than using whole herb or herbal preparations? And what are some of the... Um, the, the the main applications of essential oils? Well, I like to use, so I'm a little bit different when it comes to essential oils. Um, I don't follow the idea of I'm just going to rub them all over my body because I don't think that's always safe and we've had documented issues with, with that kind of behavior. I really like using them in salves and baths and oil blends. Um, bodies like spritz blends, diffusers. I mean, I like I like using them in a way that adds to because I think essential oils, when used wrong, can be assaultive. And a lot of people don't realize this that some some people are really really sensitive. So if you walk into a store and they have these like made, you know, they're like, oh, we're gonna burn prosperity or whatever some blend that some company sells is. What you're doing is you are taking the power away from the individual coming into the store and you're altering and changing that environment. And that happens sometimes in hospitals when essential oils are used without the permission of the patient. So I always believe in really saying, hey, do you like this? How does this smell to you? How does this make you feel? Because essential oils are can be emotional triggers. And so if someone was hurt in a situation where there was a lot of a certain scent, that can trigger negative emotions. And we don't necessarily want to trigger negative emotions with someone without realizing it. And then I guess if you want to realize it, there's something wrong with you. But anyways, so we want to make sure that we we use them responsibly and safely. But, I mean, I love using them for everything. I You know, I use them as an add-on. I, I use them to clean my toilet. I use them, um, you know, for whatever is going on with my kids. Like, you know, I've, I've been in the past where, you know, I've added a little bit to shampoo to, because something was going on, you know, um, every, I mean, everything. You know, my kids uh, play football. 
We are in the South. My kids play football. Have you ever smelled two kids in a car playing football after they play football for three hours? You know, I can use it to get rid of that stench, <laughs> but I can also use it to disinfect their clothing by adding some tea tree and lavender to the wash cycle. So, I mean, the uses of essential oils are, are limitless, and they can really add a lot to an environment or healing protocol. And a lot of people who like the idea of herbalism but are afraid will really, really, like, just cling to essential oils and really like them because they do feel so empowered by, you know, we don't realize how much smell affects our day-to-day existence. And if a child is feeling anxious or you have a big presentation in front of your boss and you know there's this certain scent that makes you feel more confident or makes you feel more relaxed and you can just crack your desk drawer and you know, just smell it and just breathe it in and let all of the um, the the different constituents of the essential oil have, take and use action in your body, it's really beneficial. And it's a tool that <clears throat> is really not that expensive. I know there's some essential oils that are super, super expensive. But when you think about it, it's really a worthwhile investment, especially if you tend to like oils that, you know, aren't super expensive. <clears throat> you can find them in most stores. You can find them, you know, in grocery stores. I think, I mean, and I'm not saying these are always the highest quality, but that's a whole other thing. Let's just get, let's just get the problem taken care of and then worry, you know, and start, you know, educating ourselves on all these other aspects. But they have, you know, big box stores have them. Um, you can buy them online. You can get them at health food stores, food co-ops. You can find their the products at farmers market, craft fairs, those kinds of things, and just really start educating and, and using them. You know, people will always say, "But I can't use that." Why not? Well, well, my husband would never go for something that's not like blah blah blah. I say, try it. Oh my gosh, you know, he's a mechanic and. We made this salve, and it had those oils in it. I thought he'd say, oh, that smells too girly. But, oh, my goodness, his hands, you know, they're just amazing. The cracks are gone. He loves it. He's telling everyone in the shop about it. They're all going to be using it now. It's one of those things where people really, like, can get behind. You know, when someone says, this herb works for me, people often will sometimes say to themselves, well, it probably won't work for me because I'm different. People tend to not feel that way as much about essential oils unless they don't like the smell. So mm. it's something that's very accessible to people. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that. Um, one of my favorite essential oils to use for a lot of things has been peppermint, um, especially with fatigue or headache. And, I mean, I don't really do anything other other than a, a quick whiff of it, and it seems to have a pretty good effect. I don't know that it'll work for everybody. But I think it also depends on, well, why do you have a headache or why are you fatigued? Mm-hmm. And, and it may be a little bit more universal for people, but um, I still think that there's always some level of personal response to things. But I know for me that's worked really, really well. Yeah, I love, I, you know what I love peppermint for? This is like one of my little secrets. I love peppermint for really severe toothache. Huh. You put a little bit on a Q-tip and you put it on the affected area. And it 
you know, people are like clove, clove, clove. Sure. Clove has nothing on peppermint. And peppermint's much, much safer. And I, you know, it was like one of those things where it was, you know, broke a tooth in a foreign country. <laughs> had to use what was available. I think I was, you know, I think I was in Greece or something like that. And, you know, peppermint, you know, you could find the essential oil at the Apotec or whatever. And it's really, um, peppermint is, is really overall pretty safe. Children like it. Uh, most adults like it. You can find it in toothpaste. You can make your own mouthwashes with it. You can use it for dandruff. You can use it with a little bit of lavender. If you, if anyone, any of your listeners use cloth diapers, that's a good one <laughs> to put in okay. with the cloth diapers. In the diaper pail, yeah. Yeah, because it kind of uh, will help your wash smell like it's been out in the sun all day. You know, which is, you know, there's just so many. I really like tea tree and peppermint. All of the citrus oils, I just love them. Grapefruit, lavender. Lavender, you know, it it will give me headaches at times. Some people are really sensitive to lavender. Um, I tend to try to stay away from essential oils that are endangered. So if there's an oil I really want that's endangered, I make sure I get it from an ethical source like sandalwood. Um, I've had this real weakness for sandalwood since I was like 11 years old. And back when I was 11, I didn't realize it was an endangered plant. So now I'm really, really careful. And if I can't be 100% sure that it's coming from, if it's a company that I trust and it's coming from an ethical source, then I'll just, I'll just go without. But, um, I think that essential oils, because they're so transportable, you know, you can get them in little tiny containers. You can make a blend for when you travel. You know, I've gone, um, as I said earlier, I traveled a lot. But when I traveled, I had two children with me, and they're two boys. And these boys, when they were little, it was like they were on rocket fuel. So if there was a, a wall to jump over or an ocean to jump into or a jellyfish to wrestle with, they were there. And that really helped because I couldn't say in, you know, you know, you can only come up with so many words of so many languages. I'm not like a savant when it comes with lang to languages. I can basically say, I need this, this, or this. But I could, because I knew the plant names and the essential oil names, it was very easy if I was someplace I didn't know to say, I need, you know, lavender, lavandula, you know, you know purple flower, you know, or or I could have it with me because it was so transportable. If I tried bringing, you know, enough herbs to handle all the cuts and scrapes and oh, yeah, let's bring a salve because it's only going to be like 300 degrees in Egypt and I want that all over my clothing, you know, so you kind of, you know, you try to, you try to like find things that are easy and transportable and those are fabulous for that because, um, you know, the glass bottles that they come in are, are usually pretty durable. You wrap them in, you know, a few pairs of socks and throw them in your suitcase. If anyone's listening from the airport, I don't know if that's okay or not. I apologize for all the times I slipped liquid through. <laughs> or you can have it in your carry-on. But, you know, this, the thing is, is that they are really so transportable and so usable. You know, you can use one essential oil for 20 or 30 different things. You know, if you, because a lot of them have antiviral, antimicrobial, 
um, an antibiotic action. So if you have one or two that you carry with you, you know, if you you say, oh, I'm, you know, going someplace, so I'm going to bring some tea tree so I can, like, wipe down the stuff when I get to the hotel room, you know, you put a little tea tree on a washcloth and you just kind of, you know, do the, the toilet seat, the toilet handle, the the um, doorknobs, places where, where germs like to live. Um, you could put a few drops on a towel and put it under the sheet to help keep away bed bugs. You know, there's lots of there's lots of different things that you can do with essential oils that aren't as easy to do with herbs. Can you talk a little bit about how people can find out more about your school and how they can take uh, classes from you and your website and things like that? Oh, well, I'd love to if I haven't scared them away. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> uh, I run Heart of Herbs Herbal School. It was founded in 1998, and the website is heartofherbs.com, or you can email me, and my email is really easy. It's just Demetria. D-E-M-E-T-R-I-A at Demetria.com. Um, I bought it before there were pop stars named Demetria, I guess. Um, and then, you know, you can, you can Google my name. There's lots of information out there. I have three books available at Amazon. My fourth and my fifth are actually coming out soon. My publisher just asked for the fifth one to be done by August 1st, but they just asked for it a few weeks ago, so they want to rush on, and I think they're pretty excited about it. And that one has to do with aromatherapy. And then the, the technically the fourth book is Herbs and Aromatherapy for Pregnancy, Birth, and Postpartum, which is really useful for anyone who – I know you, you talk about survivalist skills and people having babies – is a skill. <laughs> My kids always joke. When the end of the world comes, their mom's an herbalist and she can deliver babies because I used to be a midwife. Basically, <laughs> oh, and I can shoot a gun. Okay, good. So mom's <laughs> going to, as they say, mom will kick ass. Everyone will want to be with mom. So, and I can cook, which, you know, is helpful when you're teenage boys. But, um, and I don't know if I should have swore or not. I apologize. No, but, there's um, no problems here. We pretty much don't use the F word here, and anything else is okay as long as it's not for the purpose of just doing it. Okay, all right. That sounds, that sounds good. But, I mean, we have all different kinds of classes. Um, I also run a doula training organization that has doula training, childbirth education, midwife assistant, lactation education, and that's Birth Arts International, and it's the one of the largest doula training organizations in the world. And between the two, we've probably trained about 70,000 people between the two organizations. That's awesome. Yeah, it, it's really fabulous because I just feel like I'm doing the work I'm supposed to do. And the people who are going into this work are incredible and thoughtful, and they're really trying to assess, engage, you know, where they're going to to be in the world and what their role will be, either as an adjunct or something that they just want to learn because they think it's an important skill to have. We have a lot of students who, they don't want to be an herbalist, they just want to know how to do it. And that's fine with me. Awesome, awesome stuff. Well, I appreciate you being with us on the air today, Demetria. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And folks, with that, this has been Jack Spirico today along with Demetria Clark, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
Revolution is you. 